Hey guys, this is Billy Hansen, and welcome to the Lynchburg Neighborhood Podcast. This is a podcast about the Lynchburg area, its people, and its history. I found that the more I get to know my neighbors, really get to know their stories, and the more I understand the history and the backstory and how things work here in Lynchburg, the more connected I feel to this place, and the richer my life becomes. So join me in exploring the Lynchburg neighborhood. Today is July 15th, 2022, and it is great to be alive and living in Lynchburg, Virginia. Up here at Mimosa Hill, we are in the middle of summer. Things that were planted months ago are starting to come into their fullness. Uh, There's tomatoes and fresh vegetables and flowers up by the road, and the kids and the dogs are enjoying this summer season. But I feel like I have to acknowledge that it has been several seasons since we have had an episode. The last conversation we shared was in February of 2021. It's been almost a year and a half. Now the reason for that is, like a lot of people the last couple of years, I had a big loss. My little brother Ryan passed away unexpectedly in April of last year. It was awful and unexpected, and it broke my heart. Beyond just the grief and the practical toll that dealing with an unexpected death in an estate uh, has on a person, I just didn't feel up for doing a lot of the creative things that I used to do, like writing and putting together the podcast. But finally, this year, as spring changed over to summer, I I felt things start to thaw out, and I warmed up to the idea of writing and doing the podcast again. So here we are. But before we get to today's episode, I just want to thank all the people that reached out and loved on me and my family during what was a really tough time, and I also want to say if you've had a big loss, like so many have had the last few years, give yourself some grace and some time to get through it. Because eventually the seasons will change, even if it doesn't feel like it in the middle of winter. Now, on to today's episode. I so enjoyed this conversation with Bo Wright. For those of you that don't know Bo, he is a product of Lynchburg, of EC Glass. He served in the White House, in the Obama administration, and he is just finishing up his first term on the Lynchburg City Council and just very recently announced that he is running again for an at-large seat in this November's election. For me, as someone who has been watching Bo on Lynchburg TV during all the city council meetings for four years in this very formal setting, it was really fun to sit and just have a casual conversation and get to know him better. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Bo Wright. All right. Bo, I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Billy. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, for being willing to sit down with me. Oh, thanks for having me. This was supposed to be like an exit interview, like mm-hmm. reflections on your term, your four years and six months <laughs> on city council, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it this isn't. In in the months since we thought about it, it's uh, it's changed. You're running again. I am running again. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about that. Um, I think there are, there are two 
there are two sort of big things that, um, two reasons that I decided to run again. The first, um, and I'm sorry, I'm, I might get like a little political. The first uh, answer is, is sort of not political. The second is, or the first reason. So the first reason is that I think Lynchburg is on a really incredible trajectory. I think, I mean, you only have to like look around our community to see that it's obviously quite different from when I was growing up here. Um, and that was not that long ago. So there's been a lot of change. And I think a lot of it's been very positive, productive change. And I think that there's still a lot, obviously, to do. Every community needs stewardship. And I think we're in a particularly exciting time for Lynchburg and our growth. And there's a lot more that I want to do, which we can talk about if you want to. So that's reason one. Reason two is that I think that um, just as a sort of a, a general matter, our, so I'm a moderate by like temperament and politics. And um, I worry a lot about uh, the polarization of the American public because we see that a lot here in Lynchburg. Every community does. And um, there's a brand of politics right now that is being sold um, that I think is really uh, destructive. And I think that there are some folks who uh, have announced their intention to run. I was hoping to ride off into the sunset, but there are some folks who have announced their intention to run who um, I think really want to infuse local politics with, um, well, really what, what they want to do is nationalize it. And that worries me a great deal um, because it's, it's really this sort of toxic brew of division and outrage and fear and, and, and often about issues that we can't control locally, that we can't affect. I mean, city council is really limited, as you probably know, limited authority. So you were... You were going to ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Where exactly were you riding? Let's say you didn't <laughs> get pulled back in. Where yeah. was the ride taking you? Like, what was the dream? What is the dream that you had to forego and make a real sacrifice? I view city council service as a sacrifice primarily yeah. for most people. I mean, it's a huge sacrifice of time to do it well. Mm-hmm. And where were you going to go? Where was, where was your horse going to take you? What were you planning on? Uh, I mean, my horse was going to keep me in, probably in Diamond Hill, Uh, where I live, um, but it would have meant more time with my girlfriend, Emma, who lives in Charlottesville, um, because she's she's doing her medical residency up there. And so uh, we obviously don't get to spend that much time together, given Mm -hmm. both her schedule, which is more demanding than mine and my own. So I wanted to spend more time with her. My folks live here in town, so I want to spend more time with them and, and take on a new challenge. I mean, I feel like that's one of the wonderful things about about living if 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 you have the the luxury is um is looking for new challenges new opportunities and i didn't know what that was going to be i mean you know i've always wanted to learn spanish i clearly didn't do that at ec glass (laughs) you know but something like that you know because city councils you you point out it takes 20 to 25 hours a week and that's just if you're really just you know scraping the surface yeah how did how did actually being on city council uh, differ from what you thought it might be? Because we all have an idea of what some job's going to be or what an experience is going to be. How did it differ? I think that there is a... That's a, such a good question. I think there's a depth to the experience that is hard to anticipate because of the way that that role interacts in the community and the uh, both the profound effect it can have and also the real limitations that it can have. 
and it really tests your ability to communicate with people and meet them where they are, explain what is and is not sort of achievable within our limitations, while also at the same time, uh, hopefully, if you're doing it well, inspiring and, and um, pushing us to, to be better than what we currently are. Hmm. So when I watch city council meetings, and I do watch them, oh God. Okay. I'm a nerd. Oh, wow. I watch these things. <laughs> um, okay. What I always see uh, from you is clear thinking, um, and you always seem to be able to communicate what you're thinking uh, pretty clearly. Um, kind of you. And that's not always easy to do. You always seem to have the right thing to say, where you word something. Like, I'm sitting there watching and going, well, how would I respond to that, and how would I mm. put it? And then you put it in a way that's even better than something I can think of. And it, so I'm watching a little bit jealous and like, wow, he's putting this all together. So where does that come from? Like, did you just come out as a kid where you always have an apt reply? Where does it come from? That's a good question. Oh, well, I hadn't thought about it. Um, and I also don't know that I necessarily agree with the characterization, but you're, very, you're, you're being very <laughs> kind. I think, uh, I mean, I grew up in a household... Um, we weren't, you know, hugely argumentative, but it was a house of, of a lot of conversation. You know, we had, um, like a lot of other families, we all had dinner together every single night. And, and I had older brothers with whom I was sort of competitive. And, and so, you know, when you aren't, um, when you aren't the biggest one in the room, you've got to find some way, uh, to, uh, push back. And usually that's verbally, but I think uh, also on city council, just as with anything else, right? It's practice. You you figure out how to um, hopefully add something of value to the conversation. And one thing I try not to do is, uh, like I'm doing right now, talk too much. You're doing fine because you're <laughs> supposed to talk more than me. Um, yeah, I was I, I was curious if you had studied anyone, like if you had studied any either through books or through speeches, or just through how people have lived their life, um, that you found models for, like, I love how they uh, reply to people, how they handle people in communication. Are there models for you? Ooh. Man, Billy. Yes. Um, so I love, um, I was a history major in college. I love American history, uh, especially. And so there, there are a lot of... Um, political figures who I really admire. Um, uh, and of course, every great sort of political figure, they have to be gifted communicators. It is just requisite, right? So um, I um, really admire speakers like uh, Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan, of course, you know, the sort of great communicator thing. Um, John F. Kennedy, FDR. Um, so there are certainly how, how people, um, the intentionality behind words, I think, really matters. And then there's a, there's a brand of, um, of how you engage with your colleagues in a public environment that I think is really important and the kind of courtesy that, the, that you need to show. And look, we're not perfect, and I'm not going to hold myself up as like some paragon of, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> sort of like civic 
virtue in terms of how I engage with like my colleagues all the time. Cause sometimes, you know, your emotion can peak out. Um, you know, especially if, you know, in the sort of the heat of a, of a debate, but you know, uh, on balance, there are people, you actually have a book here, you know, with, um, uh, about Fred Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers. And there is a brand of concern and care that uh, I think all of us should carry in the world. And I'm not always successful at it, but that's what I try to bring. It seems like it could be a challenge on city council on choosing when to engage and how to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're criticized in a Facebook comment mm-hmm. or you know, from someone, a speaker, or from someone on the dais. Mm-hmm. Somebody says something that, you know, feel like you want to respond to, but then you maybe have to weigh it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how do you make that calculation? Well, if it's a point that's already been made in the discussion and somebody's already made it well, as a lot of my colleagues are, you know, do, I'm not, I'm generally not going to reiterate the same thing. There are some times though that, you know, you, you do need to push back because it's really important. Or one of my, um, you know, several of my colleagues, not infrequently, for example, like go through like a laundry list of things. And then you've got to decide, okay, you know, how much I, you know, because you also have to keep business moving. Um, the conversation can't drag on forever. You've got other things on the agenda normally that you've got to get to. And so if you're going to, there's a, there's a great Eleanor Roosevelt sort of quote, at least it's attributed to her, or actually to, to um, advice that she got from uh, a political advisor to her and FDR which was like, you should know what you want to say, stand up and say it, and then sit down. <laughs> Something akin to that. It's good advice. And I, I think it's really good advice. You, you know, politicians, rightly often, get criticized for being windbags, and that's not who I want to be. Do you ever, or how much time do you spend second-guessing something you said or didn't say? Like, you, on your drive home, which is a short drive home to Diamond Hill, yeah. or at, when you're having a, a, a coffee or yeah. a nightcap after the meeting, do you go back through and go, gosh, I wish I would have said this, or I wish I wouldn't have said that? Because I do that on the way home from a meeting. I go, oh, now I thought of something that would have been perfect to say then, or I'm not sure I should have said that. Do you ever do that analysis, sure. or do you just oh, yeah. let it go? No, I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I You know, especially in the... Um, because, I mean, I'll, look, I'll be honest, I, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to, how to communicate really well on the dais and do so in a way that's both like, that's going to add value to the conversation and when it's necessary, like emphasize values that I think are, are important. And you're not always going to get that right. Yeah. So for the average Lynchburg citizen, who maybe reads the paper with some headline from what city council decided or mm-hmm. moves they made or, or even watches the meeting. Uh, that's probably a lower percentage. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. How, how much of the work that gets done are we seeing if those are the two avenues through which we see it? Like how much of the iceberg are we seeing? Like is that really where the work and the discussion is happening? Or are you guys having uh, – is there more dialogue happening somewhere else or is that – is that it? Or, or I mean, I know you guys have a lot of committee meetings, so maybe things are hammered out there in a, in a, in a 
deeper way? No, you're, I mean, that's a really great question. So there's a, there's a, uh, I'm going to give a sort of technical answer first, which is that there's a public meeting requirement. So if you have um, three or more council members together, that constitutes a public meeting. Um, and there are actually quite few of those. There's like the meetings that people can watch on TV, the work session or the, or the evening session, and then there are the committee meetings. And then sometimes we have like, you know, um, specially convened meetings. And again, those have to be publicized, the public can attend, the press can attend. But so three or more members can't like, so there's no like back room, unless it's like by law, you know, it's like, let's say it's a personnel matter, then we can meet um, under closed meeting rules. But otherwise, you know, like if I wanted to, um, go and like lobby my colleagues i couldn't call all of them into the room on a some on an issue i'd have to go to them usually one by one to say hey here's what i you know what are you thinking here's what i'm thinking that kind of thing um and you know unfortunately i think there is a f much like nationally there's a there's a, there's some polarization obviously probably that's evident from our conversations like on our dais and so there's certainly you know conversations among members um but I think most of what most of like certainly the as a group our discussion you're you are seeing it that is really that's authentic um we're not you know having backroom conversations um but then of course there's like the rest of the work of council which is like constituent services you know being responsive to people um doing all the homework that you need to do to to walk into those meetings prepared um so it's a, it's a, so, you know, I guess it's not, I shouldn't say it's surprising, but it's a big job. So I mentioned clear thinking and clear communication. We talked about where the communication might come from. Help me think through the thinking. Um, if you were going to write an article or design a course, like how to think like Bo. Yeah. Like how, let's say an issue comes up on city council that's pretty thorny that you don't immediately have the right answer to, that's like, you've got to really work through, like, what's your process uh, for thinking through an issue like that? Um, generally, it is to do what I have been taught to do, which is compile evidence, uh, talk to people who know what they're talking about, and try to form a, form a judgment, recognizing that sometimes that's imperfect. Um, so, you know, if it's a thorny issue, um, obviously each, each issue, we can talk about any kind of specific ones that, that might come to mind, but, um, uh, it's just gathering evidence and assessing it and trying to form a, a reasonable conclusion based on what you you know, what you have. Um, and then, you know, the, and, and by the way, that's in line with whatever the law requires, certainly. And then, you know, that's especially in, in government, this is such a cliche, but like, what's going to do the most good for the most number of people? So how can we maximize the value of whatever decision we have to make, especially if it's a thorny one? Do you talk it out? Do you write it out? Are you, are you someone that writes? Like if I you're, do. If you're thinking through an issue, like sometimes that helps me get my thinking out is when I have to write it down, I start going, oh, like I'm thinking while I'm writing. Do you do that? Yeah, yeah. What's that um, that cartoon in the newspaper on like Sundays is like the with the, with the family and it's it's usually just like a kid running around a yard with like dashed lines. You know what I'm talking about? Like 
Do you know? Do you have any family circus? You, oh yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. my brain is like family circus. Okay, right. So <laughs> I need to write things out in order to be able to process them. Yeah. So somewhere there's like Bo's rough drafts, and mm-hmm. you're like thinking through ideas. Do you keep them? Uh, yeah, I have um, a big stack of memo books. Really? Yeah. And are they all council business or is your whole life in there? Because I find my journals get mixed up. I like think this one's going to be for this, this one's going to be for this, and they end up becoming like yeah, a I'm guilty of just grabbing commonplace book closest <laughs> at hand, you know? Yeah. And so, or I type it out because um, yeah. my handwriting's not nothing to um, admire. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I can't. Um, so, for example, like yes, like about on council, like on the dais, I'm sitting up there and I'm listening to my colleagues, and then I'm taking notes. Yeah. And figuring out, you know, in the moment how I'm going to respond to something. Oh yeah, don't you love that? I, if I'm in a meeting, I'm taking notes because it's the only way I can think and, and stay focused. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I'm, that's I'm what lost. I learned at EC Glass. Yeah. Hmm. How, so, 50 years from now, do you think the Jones Memorial Library can get the papers of some? Of oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know how people do their papers. You know, they give their papers. Like you maybe don't want them out right now. I don't think that 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 the community is going to be all that much interested. Oh, I think they will. I don't know. I don't think the history <laughs> will be, which is fine, which is fine. Uh, we'll save a few banker boxes to put all no. these memo yeah, books yeah, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, what has been the toughest issue? Like speaking of thorny issues, like what's been, what's been tough? Like they're all tough in a certain way, but one's been like, which one's been like, man, like I really don't know the right way at some point. I think there are a couple of big issues I think that are, that really have, um, and Lynchburg is not alone in any of these, I don't mm-hmm. think. But that we haven't been able, um, there's a lot of really good work being done on each of these. So I don't want to take away anything from the people who, who, who are working on them and spend their day, you know, they wake up every morning and this is what they're thinking about. But I think as a community, we just haven't, um, we haven't been able to really um, resolve our, our questions like affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Poverty, of course, is big. And one that's like especially close to me as a as a public schools kid is public education, mm-hmm. which has of course you know, sort of is kind of a political punching bag, but the relationship between the schools or the school board rather and city council is a difficult one has been, uh, you know, in the past since I've been on council, and how we figure out what the the appropriate amount is to fund and to keep. My interest, which is to keep politics as far away from public education as we can. Hmm. And I don't think I've been very successful. Is there anything that, looking back, you'd like a mulligan on? Like something, (laughs) like, where maybe you didn't push hard enough on an issue, or it got decided, and if you could have seen where it would have went, you would have gone, I would have maybe done something different. Um, I would have, I think going back, I would have pushed harder for us to have a more coordinated regional approach to COVID, Mm. which was something that I had, I had raised with, with some folks. I wasn't in a leadership position at the time. I was just a, you know, as a council member, but I wasn't sort of in the room where a lot of those conversations were happening. And, but I thought that we should have a more coordinated approach early on. Now, whether that would have made a, a, greater difference i don't know yeah uh, i haven't like looked at 
nor do I know if it exists, like whether the studies have been done to say like this was the effective, really effective model for responding uh, in the United States on like localities. And ultimately, I think what the city did working with like regional partners was incredible. Like there's the, um, the mass vaccination center out at uh, in the old TJ Maxx. Yeah. And I, you know, here's another thing I wanted to mulligan on. I didn't get to use my best joke. What's that? So you go to the old TJ Maxx, the former TJ Maxx, uh, to get your shot. Yeah. We're all vaccinistas. Why didn't we use that more? If only we had a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think, I think, we, I think um, our response to COVID, um, and I'm not knocking anybody here, by the way. Yeah. I think everybody tried to do, you know, we were responding to a once in a century, yeah. we hope. Yeah. challenge and we're all sort of freaking out as we go so i'm not blaming anybody i just in retrospect uh, i'm sure that you know our, our, our vaccination rate in lynchburg is not great was not great is not great and uh, that I, I think about that i wonder what yeah. we could have done to improve that that's interesting um thinking about your thought process for every issue you said talk to experts mm-hmm and when we had campaign on former city manager for people who don't know he was great and he talked about how there were some wise people in his life people he trusted who are stakeholders in the city understand the context and the history of the city and really want what's best um and when he had something that he wasn't sure on or maybe wanted a little more support or hey like am i on the right track here he would go and talk um, mm-hmm. to these people and just get that wise counsel. And um, there are experts from issue to issue, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. COVID expert, uh, school expert, mm-hmm. you know, budgeting expert. But then there's sort of a core group. It's like, I just trust these people and their wisdom. Mm-hmm. Do you have a group of people like that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to me, like expert can also mean, you live in a neighborhood and you know that neighborhood. Yeah. Right. Or you are one of the people I really admire. And if you haven't had her on yet, highly, actually, I think you have talked to her. I think you did. You didn't talk to her. Um, Miss Waller, Doris Waller. I haven't, but I want to. Oh, okay. I haven't. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Right. Yeah. But her, her expertise is her deep wealth of knowledge about this community. Yeah. And it's, and it's arc over the past almost nine decades. And so, yes, there are the, there are those people that uh, whose judgment I just I I trust their both their judgment and I deeply respect their values and how they carry themselves in the world. Yeah. Um. You don't have to say, but what kind of people are on that list? <laughs> and you don't have to because it may be uncomfortable for them. Or yeah, right. They may not want me to uh, to know that you're. I mean, they don't want to be identified as. Bo Wright's confidant and advisor. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, certainly I draw um, a lot of counsel and wisdom from some of my colleagues on city council. Yeah. Um, Any former council people that you just thought did a great job and you love been in their ear, like, to see if they've faced it before? Um, I've certainly um, talked quite a bit with, like, say, uh, Mike Gillette, Joan Foster, former Vice Mayor um, Bert Dodson, former mm-hmm. Mayor Carl Hutcherson. Um, and then there are others who I did, I don't know personally, but who's like example, I really admire, um, Joan McCallum, Mm. um, 
who was, you know, the first woman elected to city council. Uh, another, actually, he, um, the reason he didn't come to mind right away is because he passed away about a year ago, but a person I re- deeply admired, still do, always will, um, is uh, Leighton Dodd, mm. former Mayor Leighton Dodd, yeah. who, you know, one of the things I really love about Leighton is I think he grew up, uh, you know, grew up in Southern Virginia on a farm, lots of siblings, and he served in Korea, earned a Purple Heart um, in Korea, comes back, goes to like Lynchburg College, you know, becomes a banker mm. in Lynchburg, and ends up um, serving on city council. And he take he took a pretty um, unusual stand. This was back in the late '60s in supporting civil rights. Um, and I'm and I'm just fascinated by people who do the unexpected. And Leighton was the kind of person who I think had every reason, uh, uh, you know, at the time to sort of go along to get along, but he didn't. Um, and he, it cost him an election. He had a cross burned in his yard um, for, for taking a stand. And I really, I really admire that. Hmm. There's people who know Lynchburg. There's people who know specific areas of expertise. And there's people that know you really well. And um, I'm curious how much, you know, I know you're close with your parents and, and they're, you know, city residents and very mm-hmm. invested in the city. How mm-hmm. much do you um, sort of talk through these things with them? Oh, yeah. No, they, I, like, I didn't want to, because it <laughs> sounded so obvious, but like, yes, they are like the <laughs> closest, like, kitchen cabinet, yeah. them and Emma. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, having, um, but yes, I talk about it a lot with my folks. Yeah. Um, and I, I especially, I really respect their, um, their perspective on the community and, uh, they're really, th- I mean, they're thoughtful people and, and more than a lot of other people, they're willing to say, that's kind of dumb. You really ought not to. <laughs> right. Family can always be brutally honest <laughs> yeah. with you on something. Yeah. They don't have to, um, they're not worried about necessarily like it's unconditional love. Sure. Right. Yeah. Are your brothers? You said you had brothers. Yeah. I have two brothers and a younger sister. So I'm the, are I'm they the, here? I'm the third. No one. Um, they all live somewhere else, which is a sad. Yeah. Cause I really enjoy their company. Yeah. Is this just, is all this just trying to get them back to create a city that will bring them back? Well, what's interesting is that uh, perhaps I I can't, I don't want to speak for my sister, but, (laughs) um, uh, but for both my brothers, I mean, they both in their own ways have really strong and deep attachments to Lynchburg. Mm. And I think would very much at some point like to move back. So one, um, my brother, Brian, uh, his, he runs a record label. Oh, wow. And his first, the first album he actually put out was a, um, he remastered and reissued for the first time the recordings of Seal Turner, who yeah. you've probably heard about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's got the, <laughs> and Seal Turner, for those who don't know, was a um, an, uh, singer, yeah. an artist in the you know, 1930s and 40s. She was on national broadcasts, but she lived here in Lynchburg. Yeah. I was from here. Um, and then my other brother, um, he and I um, talk a lot about Lynchburg history. Yeah. He is just deeply fascinated with it, as mm. I am. Mm. Um, 
Did anyone try to talk you out of running again? Uh, no, yeah. actually. Nobody tried it. I mean, Emma, <laughs> <laughs> Emma and I had a lot of conversations about whether, like, you know, about how this, about the time we could afford to spend together if I did. Yeah. So that was a heavy consideration. Weighing the cost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it wasn't a, it, nobody tried to dissuade me. I try to dissuade myself, I think. Yeah. Well, I always think from afar, it seemed like we should enjoy Bo while he's in Lynchburg because I think it'd be pretty easy for us to lose you to Richmond or D.C. and in some other office. And that may not be your aspiration, um, but I've always sort of just sat back and go, Let's enjoy him while he's here. Four years, eight years. You always be invested, like your brothers. Even if you're not, even if you weren't in Lynchburg, I feel like you'd be a very in, invested person in it. But do you have any aspiration to to do anything else? Well, I'm definitely invested. Um, uh, I'll tell you, when I worked in D.C., I actually kept. I, I each time I'd come home, I'd like get a stack of um, like visit Lynchburg pamphlets from the visit, you know, <laughs> from the tourist center, and I keep them in my desk. And so, when any time somebody might stop by my desk, you know, at work, I'd be like going on vacation this weekend or you thinking about it, I've got the place for you, you know, and I'd pull out, I'd open up my desk drawer and show them, yeah. show them all the attractions that Lynchburg has to offer. Get on the train, head, I'm, head down. Yeah. By the way, we're getting our third train. I know. Excited. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So I'm a very proud Lynchburg person. I never liked the phrase Lynchburger, but I guess that's what it I is. I don't either. Yeah. I don't like to say it, but I'm a very proud Lynchburg native. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I I thought I would. Um, I'd always been interested in elected office. Yeah. Um, I never thought I'd do city council. Really? Never thought I'd do that. Uh-uh. And you know, I'm an elected independent here in Lynchburg. I mean, my national politics are no secret. Um, but I don't. You know. You, you mentioned um, sort of at the start of the conversation that that. Um, city council and public service of any kind really is, can be a sacrifice. Yeah. And, you know, I want to keep, keep, you know, my current job in perspective, but, um, jobs like Congress or, or governor or whatever state legislature, I mean, those are, I have, I have deep respect for the people who take that on because those are uh, all encompassing jobs and, and often, you know, um, they take a lot out of people. Yeah. Does the work seem interesting to you? Like the work of what a House of Delegate member would do or state senator? Yeah. I mean, does that seem like interesting work at the at the least? One of my favorite movies growing up was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. <laughs> so it does. Right? Yeah. yeah. I love like I love the idea of um taking really good ideas yeah. and implementing them. What's the best idea you've heard for our city that hasn't been implemented? Ooh, <laughs> I have many. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a small one, though. Yeah. Okay, because this is something I, I think is very achievable yeah. and that we can get done. So it's very small. Yeah. So um, right now, uh, when you build a, let's say you're going to, you're off of Mayflower Drive and you want to build a, a warehouse, right, on an unimproved piece of property. Yeah. There's an ordinance that says you also have to have a sidewalk. You have to install sidewalk. Yeah. And so if you go over to, like industrial areas, you'll find that like newer, there are like these stretches of sidewalk with no sidewalk on either side, right? Because 
you know, those other buildings existed before this ordinance was put into effect. Okay. So you've got sidewalks more or less to nowhere, right? Just sort of floating. And, and there's an idea, well, instead of, you know, requiring that businesses, because we are restricted by what state code allows, by, you know, instead of, of requiring them to um, actually build the sidewalk on their property, they can dedicate that, that, that money instead to a uh, sidewalk bank that we could then use to like pay for sidewalks throughout town. Cause as you know, like the city has slowly annexed property over time. And a lot yeah. of those neighborhoods, no sidewalks. Oh, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. There are huge stretches of our community that don't have, that are just very difficult to walk around in. Yeah. And unsafe to walk around in. And I want to see more sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we could have this sidewalk bank, but I love it. The legislature has to grant us authority to do that. Mm. We can't just, so because we live in a state where if a locality wants to do something, it can't be, we can't exercise the privilege or the, the, the authority to do that. We have to be granted the authority to do that. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so talking about great ideas, I always think about the city leadership that had uh, the foresight and uh, the courage and the inventiveness mm-hmm. to buy and put in place the reservoir in Amherst County, mm-hmm. right? Like across mm-hmm. the, the country, water was bad and people were getting sick. Right. And they did this sort of wild thing, buying this huge mountain <laughs> reservoir, all this land and putting in, you know, whatever, however many miles of pipe it is. And it ended up being a masterstroke, right? Like one of the like most epically great decisions <laughs> any city council has ever made. Yeah. And like to this day, it's sort of stunning. Um, and I always think like, what are the other master strokes throughout history that city council had the ability to do or push for. So I'm always trying, looking for examples yeah. throughout history, and I don't have many other ones because that one's so big, it's like everything else doesn't seem as big. I do think downtown reinvestment you could put up there yeah, because that was not universally loved, mm-hmm. but now our downtown is thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put like that bluff walk and whole downtown reinvestment mm-hmm. up there. Uh, not reservoir because reservoir is huge, but I'm curious what ideas are floating around that you think could be maybe not easily accepted or easily gotten in, but could be that type of that level. Yeah. Well, I do want to add another one to your list, please, which is Blackwater Creek. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Tell us about that. I mean, so I grew up, uh, off of Langern road and, um, in my neighborhood, we we had like a little trail down to Blackwater Creek. And so I grew up in those woods and they felt like my woods. Right. But of course, you know, it's a public resource, but the fact that somebody, actually a group of people, decades ago, had the vision to, and the tenacity, because I've now learned how hard it is to get anything done, had the tenacity to preserve those woods, you know, turn that old railroad, that, you know, that spur that went over to the coal, um, the coal uh, depot, mm-hmm. to turn that into a trail system and, yeah. and create this resource that is beloved yeah so like the other day i asked on my facebook page like what's what you know like tell me your favorite thing about lynchburg and 80 percent 80 90 percent of people said our trails 
Yeah. No, that, you're so right. That that island there. Yeah, like you look at old pictures, and uh, I mean, oh, it's just packed. The rail yard. I mean, you on can't Percival's even see island. the edge of the, I know. The, the island. You're right. That that that's definitely up there. That's a great one. So there that's are some. One. There's some really cool, really cool ideas going around. I mean, you can look at the downtown 2040 master plan. That road coming in from 460. Mm-hmm. That one is why that one blew my mind when I saw it. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know if this will ever get done, but I. Out of everything in that plan, I love everything else. I'm a big downtown guy, but that one blew my mind, like what yeah. it could do. Or look at like Tyriana, right? So Tyriana and Pleasant Valley. This almost bucolic, country-feeling neighborhood that's within city limits. Beautiful. Um, and, you know, there's the old landfill up there, which not necessarily a great chapter in our city's history when we put a landfill up there, but setting that aside, there's now the opportunity to take that landfill which has been capped, and other communities, what they've done is they've, they've taken these sort of former landfill sites that have been reclaimed, and they turned them into public parks. And I don't know if you've been up to that. I'm sure you have. That landfill, it's got one of the best views in the city. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it's a great view up there. And so we could, I think, and the plan is, you know, with resources, would be to turn that into another big public park um, with trails and biking and... Um, I just think it's, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Do you think there's any way the city has any big involvement in the training center across the river? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's this sort of like now, really, it's a ready-made campus Yeah. for, uh, you could see a, a really incredible mixed-use sort of development over there. Um, and, um, I know that obviously like the county (laughs) very much in state legislators and the regional business Alliance, I mean, there's a lot of interest in making that site useful again. Yeah. Um, so I think I would add that to the list of, of potential masterstrokes if we're able to really reactivate that site and make it productive again. I mean, I know it's in another county, but it seems like it'd be a heck of a lift for Amherst on their own. Right. Yeah. And I'm just... I just don't know what the precedent, other than us buying a huge reservoir up in the Amherst County Mountains, but like, what is like for us to have real involvement? Like, could it be? I just don't know. We'll take a look at our regional airport. Yeah, owned and controlled by the city, yeah. but it sits in Campbell County. Do you think something that type of partnership has that has potential? Yeah, I think one of the things that I really love about Lynchburg is our openness to um, public-private partnerships, Virginian. Academy, um, and so uh, I think that there is a, a wealth of opportunity. It's often just finding the, uh, you know, what the um, what's required to actually get that get that done. Yeah, because it's a whole different sort of ball game for that. That, that I mean that that site is just yeah yeah is um, complex. I think it's complex and it's big, but it's. Con- that's what also makes it if you could figure it out it could be up there in that list of of master strokes of like wow like they took a site they partnered set aside some interest and set aside some money and all these different groups partnered yeah well and and because you know lynchburg you may have seen the you know reporting recently um that uh 
you know, Lynchburg's um, wage growth, real wage growth, has been has been pretty limited in comparison to other localities over the past 10 years. And the number of jobs that we're adding has been um, relatively few because a lot of our traditional industry is being automated or yeah. bigger employers like um, Genworth, for example, yes. you know, are moving out because it just, you know, having a big office space and having, you know, especially like um, non um, sort of industry type jobs, you don't need them to be centrally located in any particular area. Um, so that, that, that's a real, this is really going to test our economy, but I think that there, there's real opportunity if we can be creative. Um, so you used to work in the White House. I did. Um, <laughs> gosh, an hour in, <laughs> just as an aside, if you don't know, Bo used to work in the, in the White House. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, at, um, so I was there for about five and a half years. Yeah. Started off as an intern, and I finished as the White House Finance Director um, under President Obama. What was it like? And I loved it. <laughs> Do you love every minute? <laughs> Did it. you work a lot? Did you work like 24-7? Yeah. I'm picturing yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing unusual about me, I think, in that kind of... There's a reason, right, that the federal government, especially um, like uh, political jobs, are... Um, it's like 20-somethings. Yeah. Because the pay is, you know, it's it's um, for Washington D.C. where the cost of living is high. It's um, you know a lot of families, for example, can't afford to live on on the pay. But what just an unbelievable! I mean, I, yeah. I love American history. Yeah, it's amazing. And you get to move around this this complex that is just you are you're not just walking where history's happened. It is happening around you. Yeah. You are a bystander to this history, and and if you're lucky, from time to time, a very small player in it. Yeah. Not that I really was, but it was just incredible to be there. Oh, I bet. The whole time. So let's say you're giving a tour of the White House to some people from Lynchburg. Yeah. You know, today. And uh, would there be one personal story from your time there that you'd want to tell them? Like a cool anecdote or like, you know... I passed the president in the hallway and we fist bumped in front of, you know, um, I don't even know. Like that is like just a made up thing. I don't even, maybe you guys met weekly. I don't know. No, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I was, uh, I mean, you know, you would see him around complex. Um, there was, I remember the first time I saw him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I, when I, after I'd come on to staff, because I was, you know, an intern, and and yeah. he had done like a, a talk to the interns, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I joined staff, and um, my first job, I was uh, had a couple responsibilities. I was the um, I was the manager of the White House bowling alley. Nice. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Nice. It's, it, all two lanes. I managed those two lanes really well. <laughs> and then uh, the executive gym, and all the conference rooms. Yeah. And then I would also, anytime the president. Um, wrote a handwritten letter, um, which he, which he, he did not infrequently. Um, his secretary would call over and I would make up (laughs) like he would send it by UPS or FedEx or something. And I would make up the label and I'd, I'd I'd have like a little stack of envelopes and then I'd run over to the outer oval office and I'd give the secretary, you know, the address because I was in operations. I worked in White House operations and for whatever reason, label making fell in our 
our portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so I remember the f- first time I went over there to the Outer Oval, and it was a you know it was early in the morning. It was very quiet in the West Wing, and the president was sitting at his desk, alone in the Oval Office, reading his briefing book. And you know there's sort of shafts of light coming through those mm-hmm. big windows, looking out over the South Lawn. And it was just this kind of like, I'm Bo Bright from Lynchburg, Virginia, you know, and here I am standing mere feet from the most powerful and recognizable person on the globe. And that just kind of takes your breath away. Yeah. What, what do you take away from, from observing him closer than... 99.9% of people just being in the same sort of orbit. What do you take away in your own life? Um, golly, you know, President Obama is not without his flaws. I mean, he's a human being. And mm-hmm. I think he'd probably be the first person to say that. He's like really competitive. I once watched him at a White House Easter egg roll, like shoot. Um, he like was doing the free throws. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you know, he just sort of prides himself as like a good basketball player. Oh, he does, yeah. Yeah, like, like, you know, he hangs out with Steph Curry and all that stuff. But he was, like, missing every single one of those. And, of course, it's, like, this whole crowd of, like, kids and families around. And he was getting... He's a very competitive person. Yeah. And that... that, I mean, it's obviously one of the reasons he's president, but it's also, like, I think in some ways can be... Doesn't... <laughs> I'm sure it makes him a fearsome competitor. Um, so he's, he's not without his flaws. Um, certainly but I have deep admiration and respect for him um, for his integrity, mm-hmm. which I think is um, just um, there are a lot of, of political leaders and presidents who, who I think have a similar level of integrity, but I was just deeply impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and his communication abilities are extraordinary. So at any workplace, mm. there are moments that are just boring and mundane. Like it's not always exciting working anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, you know, you're at a basketball arena or anywhere. Yeah, it's just, it's a job. Um, and then there's times when big things happen and you either, everybody there feels like elated because it was a win like some huge win or everyone's dejected because it was some huge loss. Can you think of times when like, was that those polar, like the whole building, everyone in the building, you could feel either the elation or, you know, the despair. <laughs> Can you think of moments where the, the white house took on that sort of yeah. polar opposites? Yeah. Um, I remember sitting in my office and it, I think this was, I think it was 2013 and all of a sudden, there were, there were cheers throughout the building, just sort of spontaneous cheers. Yeah. And um, the hallways, so I worked uh, a lot of the time in the Eisenhower Executive Office building, which is directly across the street. So it was in that building, which I love and could talk ad nauseum about. It's the coolest building. And so these, you know, it's these long, these long hallways. You could walk two miles through that building and just without re- retracing a step. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. But so these these cheers are just reverberating down these long hallways because the Supreme Court had just legalized same-sex marriage. 
and then that night they lit up. God, they must have worked really fast, but they lit up the White House. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And so staff, you know, got to, we went out and we stood in front of the White House and just like watched as the sun set and these colors came up on the building as, you know, um, sort of this new breath of freedom. Yeah. Swept the country. It was, like, it was just incredible. Mm. Um, and then a real low <laughs> was, was, uh, was the election night sure. in 2016 and then that next day and then really weeks where i mean you you know regardless of what you think of um president obama's successor um uh he was certainly a polar opposite of mm-hmm. president obama yeah and um so for somebody who who really um believes in what President Obama was trying to achieve. I mean, that felt like a real repudiation. Yeah, that was hard. Did the president give you guys any parting wisdom or parting advice? Like a good coach after any sort of loss or, you know, let down. Did he give you any anything? Yeah. So the next day actually there was a, a talk and he um he addressed the staff in the Rose Garden. Hmm. And um I can't imagine how he must have been feeling, but he was incredible i mean he just didn't like he was like we are going to provide the president president trump we're going to provide him the same kind of transition that president bush afforded us which was impeccable that's what we're going to do for them and so you know he he's like it'll be okay you know it's, it's fine you know this is the peaceful transition of power this is uh you know we're this is our democracy and so we are going to that that's our charge it was a reminder of like why in many ways I respect him again so much because he is, you know, he's a deep um, believer in an advocate for these sort of foundational American principles that yeah. are so necessary to a functioning democracy. Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. So I've heard you say um, in, in two different contexts. One, you... Uh, Worked on finance in the White House, mm-hmm. budgets, mm-hmm. and then a big part of your job at City Council is budgets. Right? That's, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's got to be high. Um, and I heard you say that budgets, something along the lines, it's not a direct quote, budgets are a great reflection of what a community values, You know, whether that's a family, a city, a, a country. I hope that's an accurate quote. You said something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I stole. I'm sure I stole it from somebody else. Like, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I don't want to misquote you while I've got you. Um, and it, but it's a great way to think about a budget, um, even in our own family. Like, oh, we say we care about this, but do we? Like, budgets tell on you, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and you, they don't always match our own what we want to be, how we want to show up. Um, how do you think we're doing as a city? Like. What do we value based off of our budget, and what do we do you think we're undervaluing, or maybe not even valuing at all? Like, where's our budget telling us, telling on us as a city? That's a really good, an interesting question. I think our, I think on the whole, Lynchburg has been very prudent financially. Um, I think we've made a lot of very worthwhile investments in you know, municipal services, 
and I'm biased, obviously, but like in municipal services, in um, public safety, in quality of life, in economic development. Um, so I think actually, and we get a lot of, um, um, you know, folks who come in from out of town who, who say more or less the same thing, you know, who come from other cities and other places, and they say, you know, you guys are doing something right here. I think, I think as, as a community, we should be really proud of what we've been able to do together with the resources that we have at our disposal. Um, I think that there are still, like, places where, you know, we haven't kept up, um, as we talked about earlier, like, public servant pay yeah. has not kept up with right. inflation really or how other communities are competing. I mean, they're, they're paying their people more. And so just as an employer, to be an employer of choice, we need to keep making sure that we're staying with the market so that we can attract and retain the best, the best qualified folks. And that's especially true for public education mm. um, and police um, and um, emergency services and other departments that are that are much more difficult to staff. Yeah, but I think there is a mismatch. Um, I'll just say it as an example. There's a mismatch I think in like what we expect of our public schools, and then the amount of resources that we dedicate to them. Mm. All right. So there's a sort of apocryphal story about. Martin Luther King um, mm. having a meeting with his team and they're about to meet with, I don't know, I think one of the Kennedys and someone's sort of giving him, you know, a briefing and saying it's going to be really tough. Uh, they don't like this. They don't want this. And this, per this other person we're meeting with is X, Y, Z. All the things that don't set the meeting up to be very favorable. And then the story goes that he said, well, what's, What's something good about him? What's something you admire about him? And then the person digs deep and comes up. He's like, all right, let's start from that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the story's true, but I like it because that's kind of how I sort of go through life. I'm looking out of, at anyone like, what is something that I can learn from this person or that I admire? What is, there is some core good quality. And um, I was wondering if you had to say like what, like something you really admire about, about each of your fellow councilmen. Hmm, you want me to go down the list? I'll start at I'll start at one end of the dais and I'll and I'll move down down the other side. So, um, our newest member, Chris Feraldi, yeah, um, represents Ward Four, and Chris is um, he and I do not share uh, much in common, at least uh, superficially. I think politically. Um, however, as a fellow like millennial who's serving on city council, like Chris has taken on the mantle of like leadership at a pretty young age, uh, at a really young age actually. And he is uh, pretty talented at it. I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty good at it, um, at, at what he's, what he wants to do. Um, and he, I think, you know, he represents well, um, even if I disagree with him, he represents well a uh, point of view that is that is that is shared by many in this community. Mm. He's an effective advocate. Yeah, um, which is, you know, what um, uh, what um, a lot of folks are looking for. In the, you know, their elected representatives. And there's Sterling Wilder, who is um, <laughs> I love Sterling Wilder. 
And and one of the reasons I love him is the man has the biggest heart. Yeah. And that sounds cliche, but like I can be really specific. Like Sterling has fostered so many young people. A Jubilee, of course, is yeah. his creation. He pours his heart and soul. Yesterday I was I was walking on Gray Street near where I live. And here comes Sterling, drives by me, honks his horn, and he's driving in like the Jubilee van. You know, I mean, <laughs> he gives his life and soul to this community every single day. Yeah. Um, then on my other side, there's Mary Jane Dolan. And one of the things I, yeah, our mayor. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really um, admire about Mary Jane is she ran, she's currently in her second term on city council. So she was elected when she was in her mid-70s to city council. And she was kind of like roped into running. It was not something that she'd ever thought she'd do. And Mary Jane put her, running for city council, you know that you're going to have to take positions on things. You're gonna have to have make decisions that people aren't gonna like, some people aren't gonna like. And Mary Jane had built up this immense well of goodwill in this community as a business leader, as a philanthropist, and she recognized that her community needed her. Mm-hmm. So she stepped up to do this thing, even though it was really, I think she she knew that she'd be sacrificing some of that goodwill that she had spent decades earning. And I think that that's a really hard decision. It's a really commendable one mm-hmm. to do that. Um, Trine Tweedy, uh, former mayor, Trine Tweedy, council mm-hmm. member Tweedy. Um, I also give, much like Councilmember Ferraldi, just an immense amount of credit as like an advocate for a lot of um, people in the community um, and a set of values that I really appreciate. Um, she, <laughs> I love hearing her on the dais. Mm. I don't know if you, you've probably watched her. Yeah. Um, and she... I don't want to sound cliche, but I, what I really admire about Trine is she is um, a person of real will mm. and character, um, which is, you know, what Trine says, she believes. Mm. There's, no, there's no artifice to Trine. She is committed. Mm. Um, so, and that, what else would you want in a public servant than somebody who's being, I mean, she is a straight shooter. She is genuine. Mm. Um, there's Jeff Helgeson. Yeah. Uh, Councilmember member Helgeson, um, who is, uh, <laughs> you know, he can be pugnacious on the dais, which I'm sure you agree with, but, um, <laughs> he is a, uh, interpersonally a very sweet man. Mm. Um, at least he is to me. Um, in my experience and um, he's a man a person of deep faith Mm -hmm. Um, he's deeply committed to and he's really deeply committed to his community I think he really does he does care about Lynchburg he does want to see it succeed we just have different visions for getting there yeah Um, and he's also like a big fan of vintage cars which I am too (laughs) so we have that in common and then um there are a few people I think who have served on council in recent memory who are as, um, who bring a level of perspective 
and wisdom to bear as uh, Randy Nelson does, mm-hmm. Councilmember Nelson. And he, um, Randy also, much like a lot of other members, doesn't go along to get along. And he's willing to take, um, you know, he, he, his, his thinking is nuanced. Mm-hmm. And he often approaches issues differently and from a, from a more independent through a more independent lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and his commitment to the community, too, I think, is rock solid. Yeah. So um, even though we disagree sometimes strongly with each other, um, I don't question my colleagues that they really do want, they really do want, in their view, what's best. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. I love hearing that. You said that you used to uh, try to get your uh, D.C. colleagues to come to Lynchburg. Yeah, to visit. Yeah. And um, I'm curious, what is your ideal day? Like your ideal Saturday in Lynchburg? Like, take me through it. Like, what, what, like what your actual one is. Like, actual ideal day. If you saw your day lined up with these things you were going to be doing, you would be stoked. And you're like, this is going to be an amazing day in Lynchburg. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so it probably involves on a Saturday, and I'm not just saying this because I actually did it this morning because, as you know, it's summertime, it's peach season, <laughs> and I went down to the market this morning to get my peaches. Yeah. And my corn on the cob. So, um, so, so you walk there? You walk? I walk there. Walk there from downtown. So that's, that's, how, that's how the morning started. Yeah. Um, it will usually involve a run of some kind. Yeah. Uh, in the city, generally, um, I'm a big fan of Blackwater Creek, um, obviously, uh, which we've talked about. Um, but having sort of run uh, the entire city, I mean, we've got some great neighborhoods that are just very fun to jog yeah. through. So usually, I'll try to get in a, a longer run on a on a Saturday. Um, it may involve. Uh, we're talking about like my ideal yeah. Saturday, like a stop at one of my favorite um, places to like grab a sandwich or something. Yeah. Big, big Montana Plains fan. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do like plugs, yeah. but uh, I love you, their, you can't plug them all. And you're like, I know, I know, right? Who's gonna feel left out? But I love their BLTs; they're so good. Yeah. Um, and you know, to maybe taking my dog to the dog park yeah. or over to Humankind to like go for a long walk or something. Usually, I'm hopefully I can like get some time in to read. Mm. Um, cause you know, you ever think about like how you've got like a finite number of books in your life that you get to read. And so you gotta be, you actually gotta be kind of choosy. I think about it all the time. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, a, I know. So like I want to like do some reading Yeah. and, uh, and then I like to get together with friends. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like if the day ends up sitting on my front porch with like some ice cream or cocktail or something yeah. watching the sunset because i've got a great sort of view over downtown it's uh you know to the west that's not a bad that's not a bad day at all it's not a bad day at all um how, how would you answer that question <sighs> that's a good question it's your question yeah i'd probably take the dogs out in the morning um it, it's especially in the summer it's great to walk around here where my wife has all these things planted and just in that still a little cool. Yeah. Sun's coming up 
over camp Kumbaya and you can, and you can, um, just walk around the garden with the dogs. That's, that's pretty good. Um, I'd probably get a Bacon Street bagel for the whole family, run out. Um, I'd make a espresso on the stove, which I've done every day for 15 right? years. One of those little Bialettis. I'd definitely do that uh, with some steamed oat milk. So got to start the day that way. Okay. Um, what else do we do? My son and I like to throw the baseball and in the yard. We'd probably do that. Uh, my daughter loves to read and she was begging me to go to the library today and I didn't, I did this instead. Oh so gosh, I'm sorry. You just lost a vote with my daughter. Cause she's like, why can't you take me to the I library? Hope she's not 18. <laughs> she's 12, <laughs> but she can campaign and she's not going to go door to door anymore. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, we'd probably go over to the city library at the plaza, mm-hmm. um, and look for books and steal a little time to read. Uh, what else would we do? Uh, probably go downtown. Um, I just like to walk downtown. I love to walk the streets down there. Do you have a favorite building downtown? Favorite building? Um, well, I love the camera shop. But I know a picture in there. I also own the camera shop. So do you really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so a partner of mine who, who was a previous guest, Daryl Calfee, He's one of my best friends, and uh, we uh, we bought that in December. Then we got two of our really good friends, uh, Juwanza uh-huh. Hall and uh-huh. Jared Hagner, and got uh-huh. them together, and they've created this really cool space there. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you been through it since it's been renovated? Is that where it is? It's been completely renovated, so it's an ad logo, sort of co-working space, and then Blackwater Branding is in there. they got a recording studio in the back. I took my kids through there last week, um, and they I went up in their estimation 2x after they saw this place they're like dad you're involved with this because it was so cool it's a tiny little building relative to a lot of downtown buildings or mm-hmm. massive old tobacco warehouses um, but i love it i just I love going there <laughs> and um it's it's fun to walk the streets and just feel invested mm-hmm. i've always felt invested but felt, feel invested at another level yeah um and to, in my day i'd maybe go down to the water dog and then take my wife to Isabella's Ooh. and get a steak salad. That's a good salad. And then sit on my porch to end the day and watch the sunset. Yeah. Um, but you did mention something. I said that was going to be the last question, but mm. you did mention something, which I've forgotten about. You ran the whole city. True. How many miles was that? It was almost um, It was almost 600 miles. That's pretty serious. How long did it take you? I gave myself a year. And okay. so... Uh, and I wasn't probably as diligent as I should have been because then I had to like, <laughs> I was running a lot towards the end, like several times a day to try to meet my miles, but I did in a year. And, and it does take some planning. Yeah. Well, I had, <laughs> I had a big map on my wall. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I mean, real runners, that number of miles is no big deal. Yeah. Um, actually most of the time that it takes was like in the car, you know, driving to, whichever part of town to run that day. Yeah. But I did it in like three to five mile segments. Yeah. And especially towards the end, I had to like recruit drivers to get you at your start. And so ends. that I didn't have to like, you know, cause we have a lot of cul-de-sacs. Yes. Yes. A lot of cul-de-sacs. And, um, and so I didn't, you know, so I wouldn't have to like run the same thing twice. So I love that. Um, and I remember when you announced it, I said, that's such a cool idea. 
Um, I wrote an article a while back about walking and saying the value of walking, mm-hmm. but also saying just from a getting to know a neighborhood, the difference between driving windows up at 40 miles per hour through a neighborhood and walking a neighborhood, whether you're, I was saying it from a real estate perspective, like there's no better way to get to know a neighborhood you're going to live in or you're curious about than to walk it. It slows you down mm-hmm. where you notice so much more. You can see, you can smell, you can hear. What did you learn? What stuck out to you about our, our city? Um, a lot. Um, by the way, I should say that I was joined on my run a couple times by a guy who was a fire department captain oh. who, was, who had just finished running it himself. Really? And he had done exactly the same thing that I had done. So I guess I really fall in his shoes. Yeah. Because he also had gotten like a big map from the city. And oh, he had wow. like color coded it and, and, you know, drawn out his, his roots. Um, and I just, he is amazing. And uh, so that was just a lot of fun to be like. And so he, he volunteered. He's like, I want to run some of the hardest runs you've got left with you. Yeah. Because he, kn- he knows that like nothing makes those runs more bearable. Like running a Winston Ridge, you know. Right. Than company. And yeah. so I just, I'm so grateful to him. Um, but I think, you know, I grew up here and I thought I knew Lynchburg pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, we got all these pockets of this community that I just never, I just didn't know existed. I didn't know they were there. I'd never, never been down that street. Yeah. Um, and so I got to just, I got to feel the texture. Mm-hmm of the community and the diversity of our neighborhoods in a way that I just never had, you know, I hadn't strayed into that part of town or whatever. Yeah. And that kind of, um, almost tangible sense of the community. I don't know how else I would have been able to like approximate that. Yeah. Well, but I really enjoyed having you here and I'm glad you're sticking around. Thanks, Billy. Well, um, I mean, we'll see what the voters say, but... Um, <laughs> it's up to them, right? It is always up to them, but um, four years, um, and it's been a, it's been a real... Um, it's been a great ride. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you came back, and uh, Thanks, it's man. been good to have you here today. This has been a lot of fun. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, man. <laughs>